Hey, Life Church Livonia. It is great to be here with you today. Uh, my name's Alex. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you're just joining us for the first time, I want to say welcome. Today, I am joined by Alex Sr. Hi, Alex. I'm not the lead pastor here. <laughs> and, um, I'm a pastor at large or something. That's something like that. That's true. We'll have to figure out some kind of title. That's true. Um but today, uh, we're going to be finishing our series on Nehemiah. So if you have been around this podcast a little while, you'll know that the purpose of this podcast is to take a deeper dive of discipleship into some of the biblical content that we talk about on our weekends, uh, through our sermons, or just through things we don't have time to talk about on Sunday morning, because either the issues are a little too nuanced, um, or we just don't have the, the breadth uh, in a sermon to be able to dig down deep enough. So I, I want to say thank you for joining us. This is one of our little tests as a church to see um, if this podcast is a good discipleship strategy to help you grow deeper in your knowledge of scripture and in your relationship with Jesus. So we would love to hear um, whether or not that's working and what ways we can improve. Please leave a comment for us on our YouTube videos or on our podcast or reach out to us directly via our Facebook or our website. So like I said, we're finishing our series. We just finished our series, the second act uh, this past Sunday. And this was a series on the Nehemiah really answering the question, what does it take to have a second act in life? How does God author a second act for me? And so we looked at the book of Nehemiah and looked at, well, how did God offer a second act for the people of Israel? And what does that mean for us today? So we finished with facing the future. We talked about um, a second act renewal only really comes when we know and do God's word. Uh, but there are a couple things left untalked about, both in the book at large, as well as the chapter we looked at on Sunday. And so if you haven't listened to that, I would really encourage you to head back to our YouTube um, or our podcast and listen to it there, catch up on the sermon. Because one of the things we didn't talk about in chapter uh, eight in the book of Nehemiah is this thing at the end talking about the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Um, you know, we know our own holidays, but not many of us know other people's holidays, other nations' holidays. And so this is a holiday that Jewish people celebrate. And Senior, could you start just by telling me a little bit more about what is this Feast of Tabernacles? What is this Feast of Booths? And why is this a part uh, of what's happening in Nehemiah chapter 8? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I think we should open up to Nehemiah 8, and we can actually, we should read that portion. It will explain some as we as we read the word, and then we can kind of expound on it. When we were coming up with the series titles, th this one was called, uh, this message was called Facing the Future. One of the ways I've framed this chapter is um, the plumb line of renewal, or the essential, I called it the essential ingredient of mm. uh, renewal this week. Uh, and that's because, and they all are connected because this is about the word of God. And the plumb line is when a string has a weight at the end and it allows you to build a straight wall. Mm -hmm. So it's one of the builder's tools and they were building. Otherwise your walls can be crooked. And if they're crooked over time, of course, they fall apart. When they're straight at a, at a 90 degree angle to gravity and the earth, then um, your everything gets built well. And the word of God is the plumb line. It is the thing we need in order to um, give us guidance and direction for our life. And that's why facing the future is also a good title because 
in all the uncertainty that the Israelites are facing and all the uncertainty that you and I are facing, the word of God gives us confidence in facing the future because it's God's map for us. It gives us uh, the lay of the land, an understanding of what's go, uh, who we are, who God is, and, um, and the fact that he'll guide us through the future because he's faithful. And we see that um, illustrated in this passage in, in chapter 8 where we didn't get to last week about how the Israelites read this. They're reading God's word. They come across this part. They're like, oh, we need to go obey this now. This pertains to mm -hmm. right now. And they do it. And so we're going to read it because it's a, um, uh, it is a uh, great picture of how we respond to the word. And there's a lot of uh, truth nuggets for us today, absolutely for us today. So it says in verse 13, on the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention, look at that, and that's a beautiful picture, to the words of the law. I'm just going to give this note. If you're the head of a fa your family, God expects you to, this is instruction for heads of families. Mm. And your main discipleship is with your family. Mm. And I wish we would had time to talk about this, but you, that's part of God's uh, gift and responsibility to you, that you are uh, anchored in the truth and that you're helping your family get anchored in the truth. So this is basically a Bible study for heads of families to help them understand the word so they can go back and teach their families. And remember, they didn't have internet, they didn't have YouTube, they didn't have their own Bibles. There was one copy of the, uh, the scripture, uh, or a couple, and the scribes actually wrote it out. That's why they're called scribes, but it was really hard to get a copy of the Word of God. No family yeah. had it. Yeah. You had to memorize this. It was oral tradition, and so mm. the, you, were, you had to be in a public place to hear the Word of God, and then remember it in order to go back and practice it. So they found written in the law, in verse 14, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month. This is the beginning of camp ministry, by the way. And we could talk about that. Really, camp ministry is a form of this. It's kind of a family camp thing you'll see in a minute. But And that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into all the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters, as it is written. And so he's referencing... In, the, uh, in Exodus, Leviticus, we have this, uh, uh, this command of God that there are certain feasts that the Israelites are supposed to be obeying. Basically, God is giving them opportunity to have vacation with intent. So they're having an extended Sabbath. And each one of these Sabbath moments are them reliving their history so they don't forget where they've come from. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they went out, and I'll come back to that in a minute, and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs and in their courtyards. In the courts of the house of God and in the square of the wall by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim, the whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated like this, and there was... And, and look at this, because we talked about the theme of joy in this chapter. 
and their joy was very great. Mm-hmm. So here, this is a critical element of following Christ uh, that there, we experience joy as the fruit of obedience. Mm-hmm. It's a consistent fruit of obedience is joy. And if we don't have very much joy, one of the questions we need to ask is, is there a way God has been prompting me to obey him and follow him that I'm not doing? And, um, you know, I'm missing out on the joy God has uh, for me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. It doesn't just mean some catchy statement. It means the the joy of the Lord, that I'm in the Lord, that I'm following the Lord. That's my strength. And um, and so it says day after day, from the first day to the last, because this is a week-long festival, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So these people are reading God's word, and maybe this has happened to you, and all of a sudden you read something, you're like, oh my gosh, we haven't done that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't even know that was a thing. Uh, I'm supposed to... Um, tithe and give generously that sounds crazy to me or i'm supposed to love my neighbor and i actually probably need to know my neighbor's name that's i didn't know that or mm-hmm. and, and you see these they're the beauty here is they're hearing these words they have not they were those these words are mostly foreign to them for many of them and now they're having to respond and obey and they do that and they obey by uh practicing the feast of tabernacles or booths and this is a week-long festival in the fall september october and it's um uh and it's usually at the end of their harvest so this is a harvest festival they they've harvested and and it's a festival of thanksgiving and it it was one of the three times a year that all the Jewish males were required to show up at the temple. So three times a year, if you lived throughout Israel, you would have worshipped in your local Sabbath, in your synagogue, your, but you three times a year, you made the, the trek to the temple to participate in this event. And, um, uh, um, and, uh, and one of the things to, to understand about this feast is they were told to celebrate this intense. Why? Because for 40 years, they were traveling in the desert in tents. And it was to remember some key things. So they were slaves in Egypt. Right. right. That set them free through Moses' leadership. And now they're on this journey with God where they don't know where they're going to sleep the next night, where their food's coming from. Uh, They're out there. Will they be protected from enemies? Um, And, uh, what are they supposed to do? It's a time. Of, and so you think you're in a time of great disruption. Uh, we're from Egypt where they were slaves, but at least they knew how every day was going to go. Yeah. And now all of a sudden they're free, but, but they're a little overwhelmed by this freedom. Like, oh, what, what should guide us? How do we live? What, all these things. And in the wilderness, the people learned to trust in God. And so, and, and they lived in tents. And so they're remembering that time when God, set them free, God's deliverance. Mm-hmm. And that's a form of salvation. That word we get salvation is really means freedom. Mm-hmm. It means to be set free. And they were slaves to Pharaoh and they were set free to be the people of God. And they celebrate protection. The fact that God protected them against all forms of 
enemies who came against them. And you can read about this in the, the book of Exodus is literally the book of their wanderings. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then God provided for them. So this thing called manna, every day God provided supernaturally for their, their needs and their food. And he gave them provision. And God showed himself faithful. And this week that they celebrate every year is to remember, oh, yeah, remember when we had nothing? Yeah. Like, think about how complacent we get. The more we have, the, the more complacent we get. And they would go back to this stripped-down life of I'm living in a tent and we're eating together and the whole community is doing this so it's like this big family camp event everybody's not living in their houses they're eating communal meals imagine being a kid in that right and you're running around and they're playing and everybody's off work yeah and they're reading scripture every day and they're in remembering what God did and they're um celebrating it communally about who God is and the fact that they have one another and that's enough. God has delivered them and he's going to continue to. He's protected them and he's going to continue to. He's provided for them and he's going to continue to. We're, God has been faithful and we're remembering that. And so it's this beautiful feast, right? And again, imagine a kid, you know, uh, running around, seeing all your friends, all your neighbors are out of their houses and they have tents and you kind of have this beautiful a transient kind of camping experience with a bunch of the people in your community. And uh, it was a very powerful, beautiful, beautiful thing. So, uh, so that's, that's what the, the Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booths is, is this reliving of their history. Almost, it sounds like, <clears throat> out of a sense of, to provide some perspective, to get out of the day in, day out uh, demands of life and remember where God has brought them from. And um, if you've read your Bible much, and this is coming to my mind, you'll, you'll recognize the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths from the New Testament as well, because Jesus talks about this a little bit. Um, and so the people here in Nehemiah go, oh, shoot, there's this festival. It's in God's word. We haven't been doing that. And so they start doing it. Um, but Jesus comes back and touches on this again. Uh, and what does he have to say about that? Well, that's a really good question, Alex. And there's two things, there's two ceremonies that take place during this festival that um, most of us would not be familiar with. And the first one was um, the the Hebrew people would walk around the temple carrying torches Hmm. at night. And so, and the torches, of course, reflect off, like you think about seeing a beautiful building back, you know, lit at night. You're like, amazing. It was a form of that. They're carrying torches and the temple is illuminated in night. And it was a picture of the God's light through his word, through the worship of the living God. And, mm-hmm. and that temple that's being a light to the Gentiles. It was meant to be a light to the world. Remember, and I blessed you that you would be a blessing and that the whole nation, again, back to the Abrahamic covenant, the whole world would experience blessing through you. That was their core mandate and it wasn't happening and this was festival was to remember i've set you apart to be a light to the nations and in your gratitude you're going to share that light okay that's one ceremony the other ceremony is they would go to the pool of siloam and that shows up in scripture and um they would um and they would draw water from there and carry it 
to the temple and they pour it in a silver basin beside the altar. Mm -hmm. and, uh, uh, and it was a picture of God providing heavenly rain uh, mm -hmm. or, or heavenly water in the form of rain. And it was a, you know, a picture of God's provision that he'd water the earth, he'd water their mm -hmm. lives, water their souls. But what people came to understand is it was an image of the Holy Spirit. Mm. That this water, this living water would, would come and um, would energize and, and revive us, renew us, uh, regenerate us, which we get the word, you know, again, regeneration is I've been made new. And that, of course, you can have seed, but without water, you have nothing. And so you need the seed of the word, you need the water of the spirit, you know, and you see these things operating. And so uh, in the New uh, in the Testament, Jesus talks about this. The prophet uh, Joel um, references this day of the Lord and this pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus says two things at the Feast of Tabernacles in John 7. And if you want to pull that up, sure. um, uh, John 7, 37 through 38. Eight, Jesus says these two things that seem kind of like, oh, I wonder why what those are about. But when you understand those two ceremonies I just said, you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's, okay. That's pretty awesome. So on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Mm. Whoever believes in me, so I'm, my faith and trust is in God. Not just belief, but trust. That's the core. As scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, look at this, by this he meant the spirit, whom mm. those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. Mm. And so, Jesus is saying this in the midst of the water ceremony, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, um, and, and he's talking about the outpouring of the spirit. And we'll come back to Nehemiah. And it kind of ends on a down note uh, because uh, even the best of what humanity could do apart from God's saving work, wasn't, it just wasn't going to complete the transformation that needed to happen. And then you see Jesus, so if you go down to 8.12, and this gets a little cut up here, but um, that the, most people believe this is the next morning, right? So the lights would, you know, uh, still be on the temple. Right. The torches would still be burning uh, around the temple. And in John 8.12, then it says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Mm. Now, remember, the temple was the light because it, it was um, it, the presence of God made manifest in the Holy of Holies, right? So you had the presence of God and you had the, the kind of the center of where the word of God would be proclaimed, God's truth, right? Mm -hmm. And so in John, we see this convergence of, well, God took on flesh and, became, and, and that's who Jesus is. And mm -hmm. we're told the word of God was made flesh, that Jesus is the incarnate word. This, mm. And so you see the word of God, the person of God, this complete um, uh, integration, this in complete incarnation. And that's why we call it the incarnation. And so Jesus said, yeah, you're looking at the temple, but you need to know that God is here. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me. Now look at this. We're talking about a time of wilderness, a time of wandering, a time of uncertainty. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Mm. 
Yeah. And it's and, so it's so amazing that he is um people are experiencing these symbolisms real time. He's not just giving obscure analogies, right? They're experiencing them uh, and then Jesus is saying, "You know that thing you just said? That's me. I'm in that. That's about me." Uh and what a beautiful um I I think representation of the incarnation. Jesus isn't just uh, coming down from on high and giving abstract and obscure uh, references. He is uh, helping them understand as they experience life, how he is in those things. And um, what a beautiful picture of what God does for us through his word and through our own uh, time with the Lord. Man, what a beautiful thing. Yeah. And in that a great picture that, and um and, and again, we say, well, you know, what light symbolizes revelation or truth. And so this whole idea of his guiding us in darkness, these are dark times. People are nervous. Anxiety is so prevalent. And yet it's like, well, I'm, I'm the, uh, follow me. And I'm, you're not going to be in the darkness. I'm going to mm. light. light. Uh, mm. You know, we think of Psalm 119. And again, the word and the person of Jesus overlapping you know, that your word is a, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Like he'll, you know, that there's this word, this presence that gives us next steps. We can see the next step because the light is with us as opposed to walking and groping in darkness. And the living water is a, another source of life. So light and life, right? You have this, you can't live without water. And Jesus says, when you have my spirit, you're going to have a perpetual source of life bubbling up from within you because my mm. spirit is in you. Mm. So, yeah, when you, you can see this beautiful interweaving of the Old and the New Testament. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Reading the whole Bible is so essential because you can read John 7, and I did for years, and I go, well, you know, that's kind of like the, one of those Jesus statements. Like, you're like, how's that all? <laughs> no, it's, like, yeah. it's, it's cool. I mean, it's there, but once you understand it, you're like, oh, wow. Yeah. Like the lights are on the temple, and he's saying the light is here. Your light has dawned. Mm. And yeah, anyway, just this beautiful fulfillment. And that's how all, this is really, really important, how all the festivals all pointed to, they, they represented God's deliverance and goodness, but they all pointed to their fulfillment in Jesus. Mm. And this is where you see the Feast of Tabernacles. You're walking in a wilderness, but I'm going to be with you. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. You're going to have light. You're going to have water. You're going to have provision, protection, and guidance. Mm. How, isn't that awesome? That is so awesome. That's Man, I didn't know that about the Feast of Tabernacles. That's amazing. That's really, really cool. It's deep, but it's so, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah that's really, really cool. So one of the things that I find interesting about the connection there, <clears throat> the Feast of Tabernacles is a really about them reliving their history, incarnating their history, mm -hmm. and remembering um, who God has been to them, and therefore um, remembering and kind of casting into the future, projecting into the future who God will be to them. Um, and they come off the heels of that into this prayer in Nehemiah 9 that kind of does the same thing. So if you read ahead and, and you decided, hey, you know, I read, we read chapters one through eight, I'm just going to finish the book. You'll notice in chapter nine, 
um, <laughs> it's not quite as hopeful as chapter eight. It's very sad as they confess their sins and repent. Um, but there's definitely a connection between what's happening there and what just happened as they're celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles and Booths, remembering their history, remembering who God is and what he's done. But now they remember it in a new way. Could you tell me a little bit more about um, this prayer of confession in Nehemiah chapter 9? Yeah, so this is pretty... Um, so if you if you go back to 8-1, mm-hmm. um, you don't have to go all the way back there. But when the seventh month came, so verse 2 says, so on the first day of the seventh month, right yeah all right now let's go to nine on the 24th day of the same month so this is you know when we think about revival you you really have this there the people have been completely immersed in worship and the word for uh 24 days right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and uh and that's this isn't accidental. So really, the revival only just now gets lit. This there is a revival here, and um, and so on the twenty fourth day of the same month. So they've been reading God's word every day. Yeah. And and guess what? They're going. Oh my gosh! I never knew that. Oh, that's so helpful. Oh my gosh. Um, we screwed this up. We've screwed this up so bad. I'm not. We haven't done any of it. Keeping the Sabbath. You know. Right. Things like that. Uh, and you're going to see them fall away from that. And one of the, the interesting things here, and I think this is very pertinent to our times, is people say, I can't, I can't do the Sabbath. I'm just too busy. The funny thing and the sad thing about the Sabbath was this. The Israelites were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. They never had a day off. Right. So God had to help them regain their humanity made in his image. So God worked six days, took the seventh day off. This is a beautiful picture of the rhythm of God and made in his image. We live that same rhythm because we live that seventh day by faith. So God gives them the gift of the Sabbath and days off and worship times. He creates a rhythm for how they're to flourish as people made in his image. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is they were slaves and now they're free and God gives them a Sabbath. And they really hold on to that for a long, quite a while. Mm-hmm. And then they lose their way. Like, And here's the funny thing. We're the freest country in the world, and we're slaves. Right. We won't give ourselves a Sabbath. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about the church, and, and you know, again, it's a, it's a day of faith. It's a day of focus, and we wonder why our faith is weak, and part of it is because we're not saturated. We're not letting God saturate our lives. So this is, again, 20 days of saturation happening here, and it says they're fasting and wearing sackcloth and ashes. So on the 24th day, and they're putting dust on their heads. And this was a symbol of their own uh, 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 confession and repentance. Sackcloth and ashes was, um, or dust, was a symbol of their own um, hum- humility before God, their own frailty before God, their own mourning. It's a sign of mourning, and I'm grieving. What are you mourning? My sin. Mm-hmm. So when Jesus said... Um, uh, that in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you who mourn. He's talking about this idea here that you're where you're mourning your your absolute bankruptcy yeah. before God, and they're doing this. So those of Israelite descent had uh, separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. And you know, 
And we're in a time of that now too. You know, there's things that are, our generations before us have screwed up and we're seeing the, the, the fallout from that. Fallout of that. And, but, but it's easy to say, yeah, my grandpa screwed me up, my grandma did, or my great-grandpa. You know, you, we got enough sin for ourselves. So we don't want to get into a Genesis 3 blame cycle because that's where we all go as people is, right. yeah, my life's someone else's fault. No, you, you had plenty to, yeah, yeah, someone may have screwed you over, but you, uh, you've done plenty wrong yourself. So, mm-hmm. um, so I've done plenty wrong. Mm-hmm. So listen to this. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord for a quarter of the day. <laughs> Whoa. So they're still reading, you know, three hours, you know, and a quarter of the day is the 12 hours of light, so to speak. So three hours and spent another quarter in confession and in worship to their God. So this is this kind of beautiful picture of the word of God. I'm letting it, I'm, I'm letting it um, judge me. What's in judgment. We make judgment to be um, uh, this bad word. Judgment is a, one of the greatest words in the Bible. Judgment is about separating what's evil from good. So tell me we don't all want that. Right. Oh yeah, I want to separate the evil. And but it starts in our own hearts. Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that's wrong and this is right. And so judgment is always a, a purification. It's always God's hope for being pure and being more like him, not the condemnation of your personhood, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um uh, so, and then they stand up in verse five and praise the Lord, your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting and blessed be your glorious name and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, the highest heavens. So they're, they're here's what they're doing. We talked about this prayer format before adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, right? This is adoration. And you see this in chapter eight and nine, they're living in this rhythm of that acts prayer. So what was the feast of tabernacles was predominantly a feast of thanksgiving. Thank Mm. you, God, you delivered us. Thank Mm. you, God, you provided for us. Thank you, God, you protected us there. And they're eating good food. And they're thank you, God, you've given us a family, you've given us a community you've given us freedom and it's all about thanksgiving and that's what they're doing and now here they're there's as they're reading god's word they're saying but we've fallen short and so they're confessing and we see that and that's if we're not confessing we're not healthy we're, we're not as close to the lord as we need to be and now you see them adoring and worshiping god blessed be your, they're remembering who god is and restating that blessed be your glorious name you're so amazing and, then, and uh, this is who you are. Now, look at what it says. You alone, Lord, you made the heavens, the high, even the highest heavens and their starry host, the earth uh, and all that is uh, on it and the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything and multitudes of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees. And you named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful. Verse nine, and you saw the suffering of your ancestors in Egypt. So what they're doing here, and this is the coolest form of prayer, and it would benefit us greatly. They're remembering who God is, who he made them to be, and they're rehearsing their history. Yeah. They're remembering their long history, not just their generation. How many years have you been on the planet? What is it? You know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. They're going back thousands of years. And remembering that God has faithfully led his people. And they're just the latest generation to receive um, the, um, the, the uh, uh, what am I thinking of? 
the uh, relay race. The baton. Baton, yeah. They're holding, but but they here, and this is where we lose it in in the United States is we forgot our nobody knows their past or their ancestry. Right. But as Christians, we have an ancestry, and so you this is your history as a believer in Jesus, and so to remember like oh I'm standing on the shoulders of all those who've gone before. Yeah. And God was faithful every step of the way. And, um, and so they rehearsed their history so they remember their own failings, their own faults, God's faithfulness, God's goodness, and his deliverance. And then they go into a, a, a time of supplication and asking God now to help them to live faithfully in their time, in their generation. Mm-hmm. So it's this beautiful prayer, longest prayer in the Bible, and they rehearse their history. And I'd encourage you to read it because... Um, I think it's good when Christians learn how to pray like this. Hey, God, this is who you are. This is who you made me to be. And here's how you've been faithful throughout my life. Have, have you? And so here's a question if you're listening. Have you ever gone back and, and thought about all the ways God has been faithful to you right up until this very moment and how mm-hmm. he's provided and how he's led you and guided you? Have you seen his hand in your life? That's what they're doing here. And part of their faith flows out of this um, uh centuries long millennia long faithfulness of god mm. uh, that we need to i think grab a hold of and has a lot of relevance for our life that's awesome that's awesome man there was so much good content in what we just talked about today i think one of the things i'm going to take away from that is that both the confession and the thanksgiving come from this reflection on their history mm-hmm. you know and i think um part of the american mindset is always looking towards tomorrow and always looking towards what's next but the a, a negative side effect of that is i'm always focused on what i don't have instead of what i do have and i'm always focused on what i haven't accomplished yet instead of what i've done already good and bad um and i think that uh that those two the the feast of booths as well as the um prayer of confession are just so powerful and so important and i think as christians they um call us to a counter culture to our current culture man i didn't have a lot of stuff to jump in about you You just had so many good things to say i was was learning so thank you for joining us today and and thanks for wrapping up our our series on nehemiah i'm I'm sorry about i just want to but you know like that's one nugget we just skim over we don't even think it has anything for us right right right, right. and and when you hear about people you know scripture says oh the depths of the riches Mm. of the wisdom of god Mm. and uh just there's so much god has for us that we still haven't discovered like we're still just very you know uh it's the ice tip of the iceberg really right 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 but I'll let you finish. I just wanted yeah. to. Yeah. Um, well, I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today on Tell Me More. I hope that was super instructive for you. I totally learned a lot about uh, the Feast of Booths and Tabernacles and about Jesus's sayings being the light of the world and the living water. And, um, you know, confession, I think, has been, it's interesting. It's been a little bit of a theme um, in my readings. And, and even we're going to talk about it again this weekend. And I see God up to something there. So I'd encourage you uh, to pay attention to that as well. But thank you for joining us here today and tell me more. Next, this coming weekend, we're going to be talking about reconciling relationships because, hey, Valentine's Day was a couple days ago, and I bet 50 to 60% of you had a great day. (laughs) 
<laughs> the other 40, 50 are still reeling from whatever conflict happened from that day. Uh, and so we're going to talk about that this weekend. And then the weekend after, we're going to start our series, The Seven Realities of Experiencing God. How do we know and do the will of God? And I would love for you to join us for that. So we'll see you next week here on Tell Me More.